you know, physical activity, as you guys know, as well as anyone, um, has dozens of very powerful benefits and from reducing heart disease and cancer and mental illness and improving our self-esteem, we could go on and on. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase our longevity in a good way. Let's get started. As many of you know, my husband, Dr. Riss, and I have been deeply involved with an incredible organization called Walk with a Doc since 2019. We just completed our last walk of the year this weekend because we will be traveling the rest of the year. Now, Riz and I have really gotten involved with hiking, and so we will continue to be physically active during our travels. Remember, just because we are not around does not mean that we don't want you to stay motivated. So get out, walk as often as possible, and tag us on social media. We're revisiting an older episode today to introduce or perhaps reintroduce you to the brilliant mind behind the Walk with a Doc movement. This interview took place in 2020 after everything shut down. We canceled our monthly walks, yet Walk with a Doc was creative in organizing virtual walks, which we also got involved with. You will hear Dr. David Sabgear talk about how he kept the organization alive despite the pandemic. The pandemic also affected our walks in 2022 when we try to resume them. Many people were not ready to return. So we felt very blessed this year, 2023, to have so many people come to the walks consistently. So thank you for being part of our community. Because we just wrapped up this walking season, we wanted to share this episode with new walkers and listeners. In this episode, we're revisiting the heartwarming journey of Walk with a Doc, a nonprofit organization with a simple yet profoundly effective mission to promote physical activity and overall health through the power of walking. Founded by Dr. Davis Abgear, a cardiologist in 2005, Walk with a Doc transcends the boundaries of traditional healthcare and takes wellness to the streets, parks, and trails of local communities. The concept is refreshingly straightforward. Medical professionals lead regular walks, welcoming anyone and everyone to join them in an endeavor that combines exercise, socialization, and health education. Let's listen in on this amazing conversation with Dr. David Sabgear. Thank you for having me. Um, big fans of what you guys are doing. So it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you. You know, we were talking a little while ago about how we got started with the organization, probably uh, around 2019. But what it has done for our group has been amazing because it really is kind of really bringing the physician and regular people around to feel a little bit more comfortable in having conversations. Thank you for saying that. Um, it's been a huge gift to me. Um, I get to work with incredible people. It was, I don't know if I deserved all the wonderful things that have come from it, but I'm taking them and uh, it's been a real gift. Thank you. Get to meet great yeah. people like you, Maya thank and Dr. You. Riz. Well, thank you. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful concept and it takes the patients and the physician out of that kind of that sterile working environment, uh, makes it a little bit more, more comfortable. 
and you can walk together and, uh, uh, and patients then just kind of open up and are, are more, uh, I think they are more receptive. You know, they, they ask questions more comfortably and feel more comfortable around the doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a less sterile environment, I would say. Oh, and I might add, you know, it just fits so much in with our, our overall philosophy about lifestyle medicine as we, as we, uh, you know, we, we push uh, nutrition and sleep and, and exercise, activity and movement. And we think that's so important. Can you kind of take us from the beginning? I know you've probably told your story several times, but I think our listeners would love to hear it again. We were talking earlier, I did my training at Ohio State and would see a lot of patients and I realized that the, we had kind of this, I, you know, I actually called it a Grand Canyon back there. On one side, we've got this miracle cure of, you know, physical activity, as you guys know, as well as anyone, um, has dozens of very powerful benefits and from reducing heart disease and cancer and mental illness and improving our self-esteem, self-esteem, we could go on and on. Um, and on the other side of that Grand Canyon, we only had about 3%, 5% of the patients were, were participating at 150 minutes a week of moderate physical activity, which is the, the dosage, right, to get these incredible benefits. So I figured all I had to do was cross that, you know, get turn that 3%, 5% into a much bigger number. And people seem very interested. And it took me, you know, a number of years to realize that these really great conversations weren't working. Um, the patients were coming back for six, 12 month follow-up and uh, I was totally ineffective. So it was really out of frustration um, after probably you know, seven years of talking to patients and realizing it wasn't working. And I didn't want to play this charade for my entire career. You know what I'm hoping as a 30, 35 year career. Um, so I, I just wanted the patient to have to say no to my face. And that was in the fall, late fall of 2004. And after that, um, kind of, everything broke loose and it's been a crazy wild ride and um, uh, absolute blast every day, pretty much. Really, um, I described it as a gift. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. It's been definitely a lot of work, but it's been a labor of love and not a day has felt like work. It's all felt really wonderful. And we we just had quick adoption, not only from the community partners, which kind of all gathered around, but also our office staff. And then we certainly don't capture every single patient, but it's a wonderful thing to offer. And we do catch quite a few patients. So I could talk for days. It's been great. I mean, I think I I remember when I was first learning about your story, you decided to have a walk. Tell us about that. I mean, it was just an amazing kind of uh, event, right? It was, we tried to keep, we knew... In the six-month build-up to this, that walk was April 9th of 05, we knew we had something really special. We collected probably 800 to 1,000 emails of all the patients I saw for those six months, and we would send them a weekly newsletter, and we met at the Sharon Woods Park 
there were, uh, it just so happened that day, there were horned owls, um, which is a rarity in Columbus, nesting across the street. So everyone walked over there. We had um, 101 people, a couple TV trucks and director of the Metro Parks. And it was great because it had been six months of what is this going to be? And then to have it actually materialize the way we envisioned was awesome. That's quite a turnout for your first day. Yeah. Uh, we're, st- we're still hoping to get that many people out there. <laughs> and now you have over 500 chapters throughout the world, which is incredible. We're subscribed to your newsletter, the Walk with the Doc newsletter. And when we hear about chapters opening up in various parts of the world, we just think this is incredible. It really motivates people to kind of have this partnership between their physician and, you know, and uh, other community members. Absolutely. Um, I love that we're all a team. We all sit around this together. We all can celebrate when we see a walk pop pop up in Lima, Peru, and see that um, I hope this can serve as a tie that binds us all together. Um, Rachel Habash, Brian Romy, um, our newest teammate, Aurel Jackson. So we know how lucky we are. We get to do this every day and to see it spread like that is just fantastic. You mentioned uh, Brian Romy, and we know him because that's who we work with closely. Since our uh, Dallas chapter is, uh, we work closely with the Texas Medical Association. How did that? How did that come about? Uh, that partnership, and I understand you have a lot of chapters in Texas. Is that correct? We do. Um, right now, uh, we have seventy-five chapters, but the Texas Medical Association has been our strongest partner. Um, they've been absolutely fantastic. It took us a couple years in the early teens, I think 2010, 2011, to figure out exactly how we're going to do this. And I love the way they did it. They did it right. Um, So ever since then, doctors that are members of the TMA uh, get to have this great um, program that's really working for free as part of their membership. And the leadership of the TMA, Lisa Stark-Walsh, Deborah Heater, um, Steve Levine, uh, Brent Anir, they've just been just perfect. Um, so it's we're now going on 10 years, and um, it's just getting stronger every year. I'm a big fan of the Texas Medical Association. Uh, they are strong, strong advocates for patients and, and, and strong advocates for physicians, and, and they find good ways to put patients and physicians together. So I uh, I'm I'm proud of that, and I'm so I, I'm a proud Texan, uh, and proud that uh, my my medical association is so involved. So I'm glad to hear that. So now, okay, 2020 happened, and a lot of the uh, walks stopped. Did that affect your organization financially? It did affect us financially, um, and um, I give all the credit to Rachel Habash, our COO, who uh, fortunately had, you know built up a rainy day fund. So we're able to get through this along with, you know, both loans have helped. Um, And uh, the biggest thing is that the great leaders like you, Dr. Riz and Maya are, are hanging in there and excited to get back out. Let's talk about the Grand Canyon Adventure. How did that come about? We did our first one, as you mentioned before, in Kilimanjaro. We pivoted. We did our first um, 
uh, our first fundraiser ever was in 2019 and we did a, a live in-person walk challenge. And then we, we pivoted to do that online virtual, like, you know, everybody else. And it was a huge success as far as Racery's platform was great. And the exciting thing was we, we were hoping it would improve people's physical activity. We didn't realize that the social connection would be as powerful as it was. You know, in full candor, I didn't think we should do it. I, I didn't think, you know, when we first did Kilimanjaro as a fundraiser and with the amount of work involved, um, I just thought it would be not a great idea. And I was totally wrong. Um, Rachel and Brian and our team and, and incredible committee pulled it off. So then we wanted to thank everyone for what we had done. We realized that we had the opportunity, thanks to the rainy day fund, where we could do a free walk. Um, and that is all thanks to um, Fresh Avocados Love One Today, uh, just a dream partner. And they made it possible that all 1,239 people can do this for free. And I'm hoping you guys are enjoying it. I know you have five teams, which is incredible. And um, I, I just love what our team and Racery put together. And none of it would be possible without fresh avocados. Yeah. Well, it's been a lot of fun. We're getting a little bit competitive. <laughs> so, we're uh, loving it we're, and and she and I are captains of different teams so uh and she's winning right now because she stacked her team with some ringers you know to, uh, no we've been having a lot of fun and yeah we, we you know we just start we thought we were just going to have one team and then we had so much interest from our community that we had three teams uh and then suddenly at my hospital my cath lab uh when they tried to sign up for my team they were they noticed it was full so they formed their own team so we have five teams from our community that are are, are participating and so it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And, and it's great motivation, despite, uh, and of course, everybody's heard about this weather we're having in Texas. And uh, I mean, the weather started right there on the first day of this challenge. <laughs> and uh, uh, when Maya and I got up on Saturday, you know, I think uh, we both thought we were going to be walking indoors on the treadmill. And then we just kind of got, you know, got excited about it. We bundled up like little kids bundle up to go out in the snow. Uh, and we went for our walk, and we've gone outside every day since. Just it's been uh, it's been great motivation. It's about physical activity. You are probably more active in your own environment than you realize. And so I, I think you know I was in my mind thinking it's kind of like blue zone living. In the blue zones, people are working and cooking and cleaning and and walking in their environment. And that's kind of I, and I I wonder if this was the intention of it all was to raise awareness as to how active or inactive we are in our lives. No, but I, I love the way you bring it out. And I do love that people get credit for cooking and shoveling snow. And <laughs> I've heard some people say we should get more credit for walking in the snow than uh, there should be like some 1.5 factor, but it is a little harder. I'll tell you, my legs hurt a little bit more. <laughs> You're living in Texas walking in snow. <laughs> we should get, exactly. There you go. <laughs> so, Dr. Sabgir, your team was one of the first ones to actually complete the the adventure. I mean, we were, what, two days in or three, and, and you finished. Yeah. Did, were you snowboarding? Did I see that under your activities? Um, shoveling snow. It um, had snow in it. One of, one of my uh, teammates has snowshoes, and um, I have a bunch of ringers on my team. Yeah. People yeah. that are 
I've done events with that are just much better athletes, much more active than me. You are physically active. You cycle as well, right? I love cycling. Yeah. And you run? I do like to run. Yeah. You're living what you're promoting as well. I know you guys are very active. And to me, it's just an entirely different lifestyle. It's It gives me so much energy and enjoy. I, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, for us, uh, it gives credibility to what we're preaching to our patients. So they won't trust us if we don't uh, actually do what we tell them that we want them to do as well. So I might uh, might ask, okay, so... Uh, talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, what uh, we're talking about all this walking, but what is it? What are the health benefits of this? What is it? What is it that uh, we can tell our, our audience that what are they going to gain from this? First, we have a list of 100 reasons to walk that I think um, captures, you know, a lot of it. I see two channels. I see one that is arguably you would think to a, a vascular surgeon or a cardiologist would be most important. Those are the 50% reduction in heart attack, stroke. There's a 50% reduction in Alzheimer's disease. I never would have known that. Wow. Um, anxiety, depression, high 40s reduction. So it just goes on and on. But it turns out from, you know, Michelle Seeger is brilliant. Um, and she talks a lot about what motivates. It's not necessarily people don't get out of bed on a snowy Saturday morning and walk two miles to prevent a heart attack, uh, even though it's doing so there's those long term benefits. But then it's the immediate stuff, I think that gets us, at least me personally out and it, kind of a mental buffer for the day. Um, it gives me energy. I know Maya, I've heard on some of your things. I, I love that you say that, you know, one hour of physical activity is two hours of of life. And I think that's also energy. So there's multiple channels. And um, I think it's important to ask which patient, like find out where their pain point is, what they, because I'm not doing a good enough job motivating my patients. Although I try um, my darndest, um, I need to do better. So I think the motivational interviewing is something that I really want to work on because we need, we need everyone doing whatever their flavor is, we need them out there. The motivational interviewing is uh, something that they talk about a lot. And I think that's important because we do need to find out what helps the patient accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I've heard you say that 80% of cardiac disease is preventable. What does a cardiologist do? Uh, great question. So sometimes I've heard my partner say we do everything short of the knife. Um, so we will see patients in consultation. We will do stress testing, echocardiograms, heart catheterizations, pacemakers. There's a procedure called pericardiosynthesis where you put a needle into the heart um, sac around the heart. Those are uh, a lot of the things we do. You know, I, I might add the way I look at a cardiologist too is that they're, they're managing, you know, you, you manage hypertension. Uh, it's an important concept regarded to the health of the heart and the health of the arteries. Uh, so you manage a lot of the medical issues, too, around the heart, you know. Uh, and so uh, uh, I, look at, I look at my cardiologist as the guy who keeps the heart as healthy as possible, both from a you know, procedural standpoint, but also a medical standpoint. Very well said. So there were some questions that um, people submitted, um, statins, 
stents, for example. Can you tell us about those and uh, what are they used for and are they? do you see them as being effective? Yeah, so uh, statins, extremely effective. Um, and I'm, you know, not in the pocket of any drug companies. I have no, no ties there. That, that's probably one of the best, most important advances in medicine in the last 30 years. Um, statins will lower our LDL, our bad cholesterol. And with every um, 40 points, the cholesterol medicine lowers. And when we talk about statins, a lot of people have heard of Lipitor, which is Torvastatin or Zocor, Simvastatin, Crestor, Rosuvastatin are uh, some very common ones. With every 40 points we lower, we reduce our risk 25% of um, a heart attack. Um, so it's, they're very powerful. Can I jump in there real quick before we get to stents? So when we're talking about uh, uh, just kind of a pure number for our cholesterol or for our LDL, uh, what do we tell our uh, audience? What what are we shooting for? Because I know the, the standard number in our uh, that we utilize is 200, but in my opinion, that's still too high. Uh, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree, and a lot of people um, use that total cholesterol number. With LDL, um, we try and get it. It's now, you know, it definitely there's uh, over the years it changes, but right now it's kind of like your golf score: the lower, the better. They're seeing studies where, you know, you just can't be too low, um, and and statins are very powerful. A lot of them will reduce your LDL 50 to 60% um, from its baseline. We really shoot for under 70, um, but the lower, the better. And what about total cholesterol? So that can get a little sticky because HDL, the good cholesterol we want as high as possible. So you could have a really great 205 and a really bad 190 like if the HDL is not high enough and the HDL we like higher than ideally uh, 45. And if it goes above 65, then um, we call it a negative risk factor. So it's a very good thing. And my understanding is, and actually I saw this in myself when I used to be a uh, much more active with the cardio is that the more uh, uh, physical activity like cardio and walking you do, it raises your HDL. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the questions was, what uh, can help raise HDL? And also, what are the consequences of having a chronic low HDL? Very important questions. HDL is one of these rare things that medicines will not improve. They haven't come up with it. They've tried, um, and it just, no medicines work. But there are great things that are common that do work. It's, it is physical activity. Fruits, vegetables, soluble fiber, and um, actually alcohol in moderation will increase the HDL, but that obviously comes with baggage. Um, so it's something to, you know, keep in mind because, you know, we saw in the last 18 months that overall alcohol reduces mortality. It does reduce our risk of heart disease in moderation, um, but it obviously does a lot of other things. So it's it's an important discussion to have with your physician. You just said a lot of things that we talk about, which is fruits and vegetables, 
uh, and fiber, uh, and then exercise. Those are all you know things we 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 push uh, in our lifestyles. You know the the alcohol thing. I hear what you're saying, and yeah, I think that unfortunately our our society doesn't do alcohol in moderation very well, right? <laughs> yeah. So if we give them permission to do so, then you know uh, they got to stick to their guns. Um, and then, of course, like you said, uh, alcohol carries its risks. We know that there are several uh, cancers that are caused by alcohol, for example, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I agree. That's a, you know, that's a kind of a double-edged sword. There's some good to it, and there's some bad to it. You probably get this question a lot. So if a person who tends to eat a lot of green leafy vegetables, right, and then they're prescribed something like warfarin or something like that, what do you advise patients to do then to just completely avoid the greens? Another really important question. We do not. We encourage them to maintain a constant diet. So if they eat a spinach salad every day, that's fine. Their cumin dose may be just throwing out their five milligrams a day instead of three milligrams. Um, but as long as their diet doesn't fluctuate terribly, we are all for as many greens as you can Eat. Yeah. I love that advice. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people are going to be happy about that. And then you were going to uh, talk to us about stents. So stents are controversial. Um, first and foremost, if you come into the emergency department with an acute coronary syndrome, stents can save your life. Okay. Um, and to be clear what a stent is, it's something Dr. Riz does, you know, for a living. You know, we take a catheter, my partners, I don't do stents, I'm uh, non-invasive, but they take a catheter and a balloon, it goes into the coronary arteries, which sit on top of the heart. Uh, there's a balloon that presses the plaque against the wall and the stent, which looks like the inside of a ballpoint pen, that spring um, will deploy and, and hold the plaque against the wall. What we've learned in, in studies from 2007, and then again in 2017, that in chronic situations, medications can act just as well as stents if it's not an acute situation. So it is now, the cardiology world is doing a much better job of making sure patients take these anti-anginal medications, medications that help prevent chest pain or, or jaw or neck pain or whatever, you know, an anginal equivalent may be, and make sure they exhaust those resources before going in with a stent. Okay, that's good to know. It is February, is Heart Health Month. Um, what tips do you have for our listeners? Great question. So, I like to make it simple for myself with an acronym. I just start down the alphabet. So A is abuse for tobacco abuse. I think it's, you know, Dr. Riz, I'm sure um, vascular surgeons see a lot of patients that, that smoke. So mm -hmm. that's a huge risk factor. And we want to make sure that's, you know, not going on. Blood pressure is B and we try and keep that below 130 over 80. That's a major cardiac risk factor and it's not sexy. It's, it's kind of, you know, boring, but it's very powerful. So we try and get that down. C for cholesterol has, uh, there's two components, like we talked about HDL and LDL. 
And both of those are equally important. To get back at your really good question, low HDLs usually run, um, it can be, we heard about family history and um, being important in heart disease. To me, that is usually um, the pathway that family history, history travels on. So if I see a young person that needs to go to the cath lab, um, I would be surprised if their HDL was above 40. Usually low HDLs can lead to, to more blockages. Um, HDL acts as the garbage man. It goes in, takes that ball with spikes that, not coronavirus, but, but <laughs> plaque that is oxidized and sticks to the arterial wall. It strips it of its spikes takes it to the liver and gets rid of it. So the more garbage men we have to take out the bad plaque, the better. So HDL and LDL, and then D diabetes for those, you know, there are 108 million people is my understanding with prediabetes or diabetes, which is obviously a mind blowing number. So what we can do to keep their average blood sugar, that's the hemoglobin A1C, what we can do to keep that down is really important. 90% of those um, are type two diabetics, which we can do a lot with. And then E exercise is, is um, I've chosen to do that and commit, you know, my life's work to that because it's clearly the most important thing. Um, I, I, I'm not, yes, I'm an exercise aficionado. I love it, but it's just, it's the most powerful thing by far that we can offer to our patients. It doesn't replace statins or stents or, you know, blood pressure medicines, but it is an incredible addition and, and, and so important. Um, and then one thing that has become all the more true over the last 11 months is seeing the role that stress, anxiety, depression, which it feels like just about everyone has understandably. So it's the, the seven to nine hours of sleep, the um, practicing self-care, which we as a country are not good at at all. So just taking our foot off the gas, if it's meditation or yoga or coloring books or going for, you know, just going for a walk does that so well. Um, I think, you know, those are my tips for a healthy heart. No, I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to steal the, uh, the ABCDE. <laughs> what I like most about walk with a doc is it allows people who are curious, but maybe not necessarily as confident. It allows them to come out and, and feel supported. Well, so you guys are, have been great and I can't even imagine how fortunate your, your, uh, participants are to have you as leaders. Well, thank you. I mean, it's your organization that allows us to kind of um, have feel like we're part of something bigger. And that's just the thing is that whether it's walking with us in person or participating in the Grand Canyon Adventure, all of us feel like we're part of something even greater. And, and it, me it means a lot. It is really more a sense of community, like you said. Dr. Riz, if you're going to use that, I have a, a few more letters, but uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, please. F is family history, and that's just something, you know, to be aware of. And G um, is group activity, which 
There have been some studies like a while ago that looked at 20 years ago, people in, you know, active in their church or um, quilting clubs or bowling leagues lived longer, they lived better. And now we're seeing so much great data on social connection. And that's what you're providing for your walkers and the data you know, we've been very fortunate to work with the AARP, the data they have um, showing not only social connection, but a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. They're seeing big numbers with reduction in very specific diseases, which of course leads to reduction in hospitalization. So now that we've had social connection taken away from us, mm-hmm. we realize how bad, how visceral it is. And I think all of us have a much stronger sense of what this is doing for our health to when we are connected. This whole Grand Canyon um, adventure is kind of going to get, you know, people back to coming out to our walks, the people that walk with us and getting more involved in maybe finding a local chapter. Do you see anything in the future again, um, similar to the Grand Canyon that we can all look forward to? We are. So we've got um, something in the works that uh, just had a call about yesterday. So there, uh, first, there's a uh, wonderful cancer research foundation at Mount Sinai in New York called the Sam Waxman Cancer Research Foundation. We've been lucky enough to work with Dr. Waxman and his team. And this is all tentative, but right now we have a, an event that'll be starting July 4th that I am not allowed to announce, but um, you asked, so um, just throw it out. We're all in this together, so whatever we can do. And then um, we are gonna do our annual fundraiser um, in uh, late fall that was like Kilimanjaro and Mm. it'll likely be a hybrid event, hopefully by then as we've, more of us have had our vaccines and feel you know more comfortable and so please stay tuned thank you yeah that is like something yeah i'm really excited about it i again we love being part of of your organization and we thank you so much for putting it all of this together and really i feel like you kind of revived people with this adventure it's like we've all been sitting there going well are we going to gather or not and then this comes up and it's like where i was very happy to see people you know who are familiar with us messaging us and saying well i can't do a lot of walking but maybe a mile a day because of some health condition but the thing is they want to do it so they're motivated and it's just like yes that's what we want you're so so great how could you talking to you Maya how could you not go out and and walk and do your best that's great how can our listeners support your organization um your your website is walkwithadoc.org um is there a way that people can support if they want to help you keep you know keep everything going very kind of you um there is yeah, so we have a shop where you can buy some walk with a doc gear like you're <laughs> like you're wearing. Um and we also yeah, for the we are a 501c3 a charity. So for those that want to donate, it's much appreciated. Um we put it into very good causes. A lot of times it's to underserved um areas, underserved countries and we're very um, happy to have about 40 walk with a future docs. So That's med right. schools where yeah. 
the kids are going and um, you know, Dr. Riz, med students and we're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and you don't have uh, the funds to start something. So um, we're getting the young kids out and um, very kind of you. Thank you. One of our, uh, I gave a lecture, I think it was at UTMB, University uh-huh. of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston. Uh, and a very, uh, very motivated young lady was the head of the group there. Uh, and so, uh, last I know, she was working to be one of the Walk with the Future Docs. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to help her and support yeah. her in that. They are who we want as a layperson, who, what we want to see in our physician. Eat healthy, exercise. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. This next generation is, is phenomenal. I just want to say thank you for coming and spending your evening with us. Uh, you know, we're doing this interview late in the evening on a, what is today? Tuesday? Because that's when two doctors can actually get together and, uh, yes. and talk, right? Uh, but I want to thank you for spending your evening with us. And uh, I, know I, I know our audience is going to really enjoy uh, watching this. Thank you, guys. And I hope we're able to team up for many, many years. Thank you. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this content, please share with one friend who can benefit. You can also leave us a five-star review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash HLS. This helps us to spread our message. As always, thank you for being a listener.